And now, Hangar 56 Media presents Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Who needs music? Who needs music? When you've got that, do you know what that is? I'm sure you do. Listen to it. That's YouTube. It's Saturday. It's Le Mans, the 24th running, the 100th anniversary. And uh, how fun is it that you can go to YouTube and be get inside the cars with a live stream? I've been live streaming all morning, watching the different cars. Right now we're listening to one of the Toyotas blast around the track. Uh, Johnny Lieberman's there with his horrible beard on an electric bike. Hopefully still on the track, dodging some of these cars. And uh, it's anybody's its anybody's race. There have been crashes in the first four hours. It crashes all over the place. Our friend Scott Dixon spun out and then we got back on the track. I'm pretty sure I just saw the uh, Tom Brady Porsche 963 hit the wall. What the hell? How are you guys? We have a fabulous show. We have a lot to talk about. It's just me and Zuckerman today. Good morning, Mr. Zuckerman. Good morning. How are you? Terrific. This is a show like the old days. And and I think, no, I mean, there's so much going on, we could go three hours. Do you know this is our this is our six-year anniversary, Zuckerman? Are you kidding You've me? You've been with me from the start. And six how, years. Six. And how nice. It's just me and you. I owe you a debt of gratitude, my friend. You've helped me build this into the Spikes Car Radio empire. And well, thank you for having me. Six years old. That's kindergarten. We're ready for <laughs> kindergarten with this show. We're just getting started. Yes. We're just getting started. It's an old rule of show business that uh, if you just stick around long enough, if you just jam the talent down America's throats, they'll swallow it and go, all right, I don't like them. I don't like the show, but I accept them. <laughs> Am I still your greatest comedic find, Ferriston? Well, there's quite a few on that list. <laughs> supposed to just say no. But yes. <laughs> no, you're supposed yes. to say no. I think I've pulled you from far outside of the entertainment circles into entertainment. Yeah, I would say for sure. I got to move this elephant tooth or I can't look at you. Um, there's so... Anyway, yes, you are, Zuckerman. And, and sincerely, my thanks for being on the show. Thank and you for having me. Everybody is very sincerely. happy to have you here and uh, week after week talking about what's going on. Right now, it's Le Mans. And um, refresh my memory on this bet. I'm betting that Porsche is going to finish above Cadillac, correct? That's with Lieberman. Yeah. And me, I just said, if, if Dixon wins, I give money to everybody I know. I think it was <laughs> something like that. I just hand money okay. out. Well, he could. It's still very early in the race. But um, if you are, or if you did, I guess it's too late now. Next year, check it out. Check out these. I mean, I woke the first thing I woke up in the morning, I went, oh, it's Lamonde. I totally forgot. Put it on the big TV. Ended up w- waking everybody up, just pinging my YouTube right onto the big screen in my living room and just getting in the cars and doing laps. It was so much fun. It started raining right away. The weather there is awful all the time. You think our government controls that too? Yep, they absolutely do. You know they do. Um, and uh, and it's fun and it's great and I can't wait to keep watching and it, it'll wrap up tomorrow morning and, and that'll be that. Um, but... Where do we start? And Johnny Lieberman's there. Have you seen Johnny's post? I've seen him and I've, I've been texting with him. He's so weird. You know, I love you, Johnny, but the, the, uh, I try to get him on motorcycles all the time. He says he hates motorcycles and he knows that I like electric bikes and, 
and I don't. He was on the track. Dude, really cool, by the way, on an electric bike, doing a uh, taking a look at the track, going around the track, and he was like, "These things are fun." He figured it out. <laughs> doy, doy. And I just went, really? That you at this point in your journalistic career are just now. And I look, you know, I re, I do re, I kind of know what he's talking about because back uh, years ago we were at Bills and uh, Pat Dempsey was on the show. And he rolled up to that interview. We were recording at Bill's at the Malibu Kitchen. I remember. On an electric bike. And I said, hey, I've never tried one of those. What do they do? And he goes, here, try it. And I took a ride. And, it was, and, I, and I experienced pedal assist for the first time. Like, what? What? Six years ago? <laughs> and I went, wow, this is a thing. That, I don't understand how he's just experiencing it now. He's a pastrami journalist. <laughs> I've said this. And he's regressive. He's like me. Well, he's uh, in the world of motorsport. I there there isn't many electric bikes, but but um, the electric bike revolution is hilarious. And it's worth paying attention to. It's just I've, like the electric vehicle. I've been in touch with Storm Saunders. Oh, you did? You called him up? I called him up. He is great advice to me. He said he was in China and suggested I go to the city of industry and pick out the bike. And I said, Storm, that it may as well be China to me. Uh, oh, you should, go, you should go there. City it's, of industry? I went there. How far is it? 60 miles, right? Yeah, but I did it. It's amazing. I went to his factory and everything's laid out there and it's really fun. I don't got time for that. I you, mean, you would really enjoy it. I would enjoy it, but the idea of driving 120 miles on a work day. Is, I don't think uh, it's 120 miles, one. And that's two, round there's trip. a good chance he'll just say, take a couple bikes. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a different story. That's a different story. But he's got to be. All money is good. But he, yeah, you're getting a tour. It's like going to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You're getting a tour from the guy. Willie Wonk is saying, come to my factory. Will you go with me? I'll go. I'll go, for okay, sure. Okay, if I you love go, them. I'll go. We'll go in a fun car. We'll go do it. And you'll see this business up close. You know, right now, my two favorite brands are Sondor's and Cake. And I've got a Cake uh, Kalk, they call it, a Kalk. Cake Kalk? Or that's Something a- like that. I've, it's an off-road motorcycle, electric motorcycle that I am in love with. I hope they forget that they dropped it in my garage and I'm, I'm out in it every night having are, fun. Are these the ones that the kids in Newport Beach are driving these things, doing wheelies, or is that Sauron's? Look, that's both. Yeah, there's this subset of bikes that are being used to, as they put it, thrash neighborhoods in California. And they're fun and they are essentially motorcycles and nobody's got them plated up. And it's a great time. It's a good time while it lasts. Eventually, there'll be so much of it that it will have to stop. But as we were recording last week, remember you saw that? Yes. That's the marauding that's going on. My son and I don't do that. We're very respectful. Why not? Uh, Come on. A lot of different reasons. There's that guy. There's that guy in the neighborhood that you should. Who's that? You know, the dentist. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. We're buddies with him now. Yes, okay. We're we made friends. peace? Yeah, we made peace. peace in our time? Okay. Yeah, we did. We will we not did. harass That was him. the guy that was uh, blocking the, the front gate with his GT3. Uh, he's got a GT3. How can he not be a friend? Uh, he's a friend of me. I would say he's the perfect definition of a friend of me. <laughs> he's someone we're friendly to, but he's also, you're not sure about him. But we talk all the time now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I go up there when I'm up there riding. We, we talk all the time, but, it, but yeah, it's good. It's good. Anyway, let's get to some real stuff going on here. There's that. Secondly, Rolex just dropped a new watch on us. Oh, I should also mention Cameron Weiss from Weiss Watches is on in a, in a little bit, and he's going to be addressing the, uh, the I, I wouldn't call it a controversy, but the, the healthy debate that uh, 
Joshua Shapiro of JN Shapiro Watches is the first uh, all-American watchmaker. I call it a controversy, and we started it since the since Hamilton watches in the '60s. And 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 we dig in, and I'll introduce it. I'll tell you where the conversation goes. It's it was exciting, and it was fun, and I I would not label it a controversy or even a debate. And uh, you'll hear why in the interview. We'll wrap it up, and you, and and when you hear it, you'll go, oh wow, I didn't. There's a very salient fact about Swiss watches in that interview that you're gonna love. Anyway. Rolex dropped a 100th anniversary Daytona on us, I think, a couple hours ago, Zuckerman. I haven't even seen it. This is quite a day. It's a black, one of the uh, new black Daytonas, where the 100 on the bezel is red, as is the Daytona. Oh, future collectible. It is white gold. It is $56,000. Well. And it is a must-have. You've got to have it. It's incredible looking. It's like the greatest one they've ever dropped. I lost my mind when I saw it. I, just, I don't understand why all this stuff is happening all at once. Le Mans and this. And okay, I've never broached this. Is it possible to plan Z a watch? Wow, that's tricky. I think so. That's, that's skin. It's skin and dirt. Skin and, and skin cells and hairs. Yeah. It. I think it's completely irrelevant because, you know, we don't, have the ability to get that watch i could try i could try but i don't think we have the ability to acquire one now rolex is is i am hearing is cozying up to us a little bit and us i mean the show but well if they want to cozy this is the right time to cozy and then we maybe they can get us a special expandable band because one of the biggest problems with playing Zing this watch besides yes your filth uh versus my filth is that we have two very different size wrists that's right I have a lady wrist. And I have a gorilla wrist. <laughs> so, I should be, remember the Samsonite commercial? I'm in the Samsonite yes. cage. So, uh, anyway, I don't know that Rolex could just even do... It's, it seems like it's the same with cars. You get allocations, and then the dealers decide the allocations. It's So I don't know that you can really go up that high at Rolex and get something, but maybe you can. But if you look at some of the guys that are in business with them... I don't know. Do we fit into that kind of like a Jensen Button? You know, no, the, we, the, the we're not yet. He's making his own whiskeys. A Formula One guy, and you've got uh, the tennis, all the tennis guys. You know, Alcarez, and and these are all champions. You look at us, slobs, <laughs> slobs, <laughs> rejects. I mean, but there is a market. We have a following, and we should get it. Yeah, I could make my own pisky. Your what? Whiskey pisky. Oh, whiskey yeah. pisky. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's talk about the big June 8th announcement. Um, a lot of folks are giving us credit for calling it right. A lot of folks are saying you. you had it, that this information that came in was right. I Look, I'm going to be a little more honest than that. I think we went on record saying it was the ST, and then a week before, my source said now it's the hypercar. The ST's been punted to August. Uh, there was no materializing of this 356 badged 911 limited to 100. That's just chatter at this point. But the new hypercar was announced. I think our intel was relatively accurate. We were in the room with it. Yeah, we got we got close to it. No, we did. No, and we did. We we said uh, we did say hypercar, but we did say a lot of things. But we but but this June eighth announcement did yield a new car. They're calling it a concept now. It's called the Mission X. 
And what we did have right in our conversation with Jerry a few weeks back is it's an all-electric, one-off supercar that the company is already saying could could go into production. We're gonna we're gonna ask we're gonna ask our customers if they're interested in it, and we'll see. They're teasing the reaction. <laughs> they're getting much better about teasing the reaction on these things and ginning people up. They they don't want to have the experiences like they had with the 918 or the Carrera GT, uh, where where the, the the anticipation and the marketing was a little bit off. I think they're going to get it 100% right this time and sell every one of these things without question. And I'm ready for us to get in. Well, they yeah, they're already asking us about that. But um, let's dig into the car, okay? Uh, first, Porsche is saying this. Its vision is to create the fastest road legal car on the Nürburgring, a record currently held by the Mercedes AMG One. The car, if it were to be produced, would achieve that goal through power to rate ratio, one horsepower per 2.2 pounds, more oh. downforce than the current GT3 RS, which is what, a couple thousand pounds of downforce, an electrical system capable of charging about twice as quickly as the Taycan Turbo S, thanks to 900 volt architecture. Okay, doesn't mean a lot. I think I think the thing looked beautiful, gorgeous. Twenty nine seventeen wheels, twenty in front, twenty ones in back. Uh, translucent aero brakes that direct air away from the brakes. A glass dome, <laughs> like you, like my head, like your head. <laughs> a two seat cabin. Um, I love this detail. Le Mans style doors, inspired by the nine seventeen. Wouldn't you think they would eventually perhaps name this the new 917? Why Why aren't we going? Why aren't we just going to say it out loud right now that this will be the new 917? Seems why not logical. they've reused numbers? You've got the 918. For them to put in this sentence, Le Mans-style doors inspired by the 917... Design and and emo- to design emotion, you need heritage and you need uh, parts of a car that you know from the past. So that's one reason they can design a little emotion by saying a nine seventeen style doors. They could also be saying we're going to badge this the nine seventeen. I would get behind it, right? I, I wouldn't have it, but this car is enough of a car to be called a nine seventeen, in my opinion. Two differently colored seats, which I absolutely adored. I loved it. A steering yoke. For you yoke haters, go yoke yourselves. Now Porsche yokes doing on it. you. Yeah, yeah, stupids. Take your yoke and jam it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Say it like my mother. We don't want yo yokes are stupid. Who is it that says that? One of our co-hosts. We won't name him by name. But look Matt. now, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Ferrer. But now look, now look. Um, and Porsche officially saying that gauging interest from clients before building, we know you're going to make it. We know you need this and this is your car. It's really cool. Now it's worth looking back a year, Zuckerman, one year ago, almost to this day, Porsche increased its investment in Rimac. There you go. Bugatti increased in Rimac. All makes sense now. Now, two weeks ago, I think we were talking about the, uh, the Rimac Nevera, right? The Mm -hmm. 2,000 horsepower car that is now the fastest production car, or fastest car, if I get that wrong, sorry, uh, that runs a quarter mile in 8.592 seconds, that has a 0 to 60 of (laughs) 1.85, just a dash faster than the Tesla, and sprints to 100 in 4.3 seconds. And they're saying 
Do you see what they've done? Do you yes. see what they did last year? And now the Rimac, and then they're saying we want it to be, I think, faster than this car? They picked up that essential piece of, yes. the, of the puzzle yes, and jammed did. it in there. Yes, they did. Clever acquisition. God damn it! They're Smart. so good. And we had a nice lunch with our friends from Porsche Clearwater who were out here. Great guy and great friends. And let's be candid. We, we had that lunch because we want this car. <laughs> and he's going to deliver it to us. <laughs> he is? I think so. I feel it. All right. Let's manifest it. Let's manifest it. But first, let's talk about Nord VPN. Come up with some Nord comedy, Zuckerman. Nord. Our jet fighter from Nord. The Nord <laughs> 4. I know, strafing. I know what a nerd is, but what is a Nord? It could be a nodule on your inner thigh. What about the Norge? Wasn't the Norge the refrigerator repairman yes. butt crack stood up? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Nord VPN. Get online protection with a single click. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. It's the fastest virtual private network on the planet. Threat protection shields you from malware, trackers, and ads. Dark web monitor notifies you if someone leaks your credentials. Dedicated IP helps you avoid, oh, this is so good, captchas and block lists. They don't track your information. They don't share online. Your data is always protected by next-generation encryption. There's even a kill switch to make sure your data is never exposed. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee for all Users, dedicated apps on all major platforms. What that means is you can add it to your browser and it makes things work quickly. How do I know? I have it. One account protects up to six devices, which is probably one third of the devices I have personally. And guess what you get with it, Zuckerman? A Nord Pass <laughs> that gets you into any nerd club. No, the Nord Pass is a password manager. I have, I think, currently 5,000 passwords. <laughs> And now the Nord Pass password manager stores them all. I don't have to think. It just puts I, them in. I need a soothing and cooling Nord pad <laughs> Ooh. for my Nords. Here's my Nord Pass. Make love to me. Um, get your exclusive SCR and Nord VPN deal here <laughs> at Nord, N-O-R-D, VPN.com slash Spike 911. Go to Nord, VPN.com slash Spike 911. And see the deal we're offering you. It's fantastic. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Nord, welcome to Spike's Car Radio. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. Nerd VPN would be good. I think people would like that. All right. There's so much more show here, Zuckerman. I, I had to limit it. So we got into the Porsches. I'm excited about this new car. I think it's really cool. I'm 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 afraid of what they're saying it's going to cost. What would you guess that car costs? One six. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be one six, and it's going to be very, very painful and difficult for us to arrange <laughs> the financing of this. What was the nine eighteen when it was new? It was eight hundred, right? Well, it, but everyone got the Wysak package, so that was nine forty five, I think nine fifty. Oh boy, Jesus! So I, I'm predicting one six, and we're going to be looking at thirty year mortgages for, <laughs> for this car. And um, it's unclear whether there will be another VIP program, but if there is, this is going to be the car that that they'll base it on. And right? that's it. That's that's a, a guess. That's a really good question because that prior VIP program. There were good parts and bad parts. It all depended on which side of the, the, the line you were. Yes, yes. I only like the bad parts. <laughs> Shut up, Zuckerman. <laughs> um, 
suburb of Los Angeles, uh, Pico Rivera, finally is going to combat street takeovers. Have you heard about this, Zuckerman? Here we are. So goes California. So goes Pico Rivera City Council. So goes the world. They've added some of the most stringent laws. Draconian. Uh, Draconian. No, I'm in favor of all this. After the the kids were beaten on the Toyota MR2, I want it all stopped. Uh, Toyota initially passed a local ordinance allowing police to permanently confiscate vehicles used in illegal shows or street racing. So they can now permanently. This is this is good, right? Well, yes. Can you challenge that? Do you think you have to? Because I always worry about the misapplication. Like some poor guy's just driving along. He's not involved in anything. He's made a wrong turn. He's not part of the takeover. He just went to Taco Bell and 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 is doing donuts. Then his car. He just happens to be in the area, and his car gets seized forever. Right. Right. So there could be. There could be abuses, but generally speaking, these takeovers do have to stop because the amount of people getting mauled. Yeah. But I do not like empowering police to have the right to see something permanently without any oversight. But I would guess, look, if you've got the car doing donuts and sliding around and you've got 100 kids with cameras and you've got evidence, then why why not take that person's car away? Okay, and and I hope that that's the way it's used. Yeah, yeah. It's just not somebody driving past the takeover that looks the wrong way at the cops, says something snide, and, and then their car's gone. Well, yeah. Yeah, can't do that. Well, I'm a snide talker, so I think about myself in the situation. <laughs> Are you going to these street takeovers? I'm not, but you've heard me talk to police officers. Okay, here's where it gets good. Spectators within 500 feet of the sideshows can be fined up to $2,000 for watching the event. Oh, bullshit. 500 that's... feet is about two city blocks or even preparing for one. That's the new weird. ordinance may become permanent, may become permanent in 30 days. That part's going to be challenged. That part's definitely... Can you enforce an ordinance? You can try, but the, the problem is spectators within how many feet? 2,000 feet? 500 feet. Yeah. 500. What if what if you happen to be selling tacos there and suddenly one starts and now you're standing there within 500 feet? This, you have constitu- Looking because you don't want to get hurt. You have a constitutional right to assembly. This, this, is, this is problematic. <clears throat> yeah. This is definitely problematic. Well, they have to do something. They have to do something and they're going to do it by going overboard and and... You know, it, it harkens back to remember all the laws in the 80s about cruise nights, can't yeah. cruise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are a little different, though, because yeah, people are getting mowed down. And, and that's part of the, that's part of the, I think the attraction is getting the video of somebody falling out of the car or getting biffed by the back end of the car. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. I don't mind saying it, frankly. So if I'm going to go to one of these, I'm going to stay a thousand feet back. But it, I, look. I, I was willing to look the, I was willing to look the other way in the street takeovers until the MR2 got destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm now I'm pissed. Now I want them all stopped. Go there. We'll be 501 <laughs> feet with our opera glasses. <laughs> Swiggins. <laughs> Did you see that Swiggins? Hey, look at that Swiggins. <laughs> he really ate it. <laughs> that young man really ate shit as he flew out the window into the Carl's Jr. sign. My he has no skin on his backside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like old Sheedy. Remember that? When he was dragged by the horse. No, I don't. I don't. Thank you, Swiggins. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, here's some crime that you'd be into, Zuckerman. A lot of folks sent us this. Since we have a watch show with Cameron Weiss coming up, uh, an interview with him. 
This story caught my attention. Criminal plot to sell Frankenstein fake Speedmaster watch for $3 million was aided by Omega employees. Insiders. Watchmaker says. Did you see this story? Oh, yeah. It's juicy. Let me fill everybody in so they understand what's going on. November 2021, Omega was thrilled to join the ranks of Rolex and Paddock, luxury watchmakers whose vintage pieces have sold for millions of dollars. And a Speedmaster timepiece, a cult favorite, among us, every man should have a Speedmaster, says Ben Clymer, and he's right. Had sold for 3.1 million Swiss francs, about 3.4 million. At today's exchange rate, didn't need those words. We don't care. The unusual watch featured a vibrant milk face, uh, milk chocolate <laughs> face. Milk face. Most kindergartners have a vibrant milk chocolate <laughs> face, too so weird when they describe things that way. Omega wrote in a press release at the time, which garnered extra attention given its status as a moon watch, the design worn by NASA's astronauts during the first moon landing in 1969. The stainless steel watch is all the more unusual because of the fade on its dial, which is incredibly even throughout, coupled with the luminous material on both the dial and hands. Luminous milk. <laughs> aging to an attractive golden tone. That's not real! The piece sold by our friends at uh, Global Auction House Phillips. We love Phillips. Ouch. And we do love them. Paul Boutros, those guys, but they were bamboozled. Had been estimated to sell for 87000 to one thirty one, Somewhere in there. But after a fierce bidding war, the damn thing went to $3.4 million. And it was a Fugazi. Yep. Well, not really. Let's see. This is what they turned up. So following an investigation by Omega owner, the Swatch Group, and Swiss newspaper NZZ, the watch was discovered to be, yeah, you're right, a Frankenstein, a piece made up of various watch parts which hadn't originally been pieced together. In some cases, the parts didn't even fit together. But how did a fraudulent watch manage to make its way to a $3 million sale? There was some, if you read the article, there's some very interesting details about the sleuthing. Well, here it is. First, Omega CEO, Reynold Eisschlimmer. Eisschlimmer? I don't know. <laughs> it's not Ronald. He changed the O to uh, uh, an A-Y. So I think his original name was Ronald Eisschlimmer, and he changed it to Reynold Eichlimann. I can't pronounce either. But he has alleged that three former staffers were in on the scam. I think you want to use the word scheme when you say this thing, right? Because that's technically a scheme. It's a scheme. Right. It's a plot. It's a scheme. The initial findings have provided clear evidence that three former employees were involved in this operation with clear criminal intent to the massive detriment of Omega. Massive. Is it really? No, it's a it's vintage good. watch. I mean, you can't. I mean, in the vintage watch world, you don't really blame the manufacturer for things that are that are old, right? What I like about old. this is that they. But tell I guess, you but exactly. they did work for Omega. They I did, guess. but yeah, they, yeah. but Omega also can tell you exactly what it is that's phony about this thing, and that was the good part. Well, I've got I've got that stuff, but listen, there's more. They they confronted these guys with the facts. And the three Omega guys quickly confessed to acting wrongly. You know, these Swiss guys don't know how to take a beating. Oh, we did it. We did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Give us our chocolate. Please, Reynold. Please don't take our chocolates away. <laughs> one minute, one question, and they Reynold. fold in. Tie them to the chair. No, Reynold, you cannot take this into your oh. own hands. Get the Get hot. the horn. Get those Swiss horns. Heat up the mainsprings. We're going to burn their eyes with watch parts. Reynold! 
Reynolds just a, uh, he was looking forward to torturing these guys. The ex-employee worked in tandem with intermediaries to purchase the watch for the Omega Museum. I don't even, this, this thing is really a plot. All right. Um, the work to pull it off, the scheme required thousands of dollars, such as replacing hands on the watch and even making it slightly radioactive, Zuckerman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. A compo- okay. This is a component keen buyers would test for with a Geiger counter. Do the noise. Do the Geiger counter noise. Can you do it? It's, this is not a forgery. Listen, clicks. <laughs> I have leukemia. It's real. <laughs> what is going on in the watch world? The, the forgery is so sophisticated, they say. Uh, yeah, was it? But the pieces didn't fit together. I don't know. The bridging wasn't right. A spokesman for Phillips told Fortune it is most concerned to have been targeted by organized criminal activity, but did not comment on why they didn't figure it out. Why they didn't figure out. Why any auction house, not just Philip, anybody, you're, you're, you're potentially in trouble. You've got to make sure you check out this stuff Here's yourself. the problem. Only the, only the people at Omega, yes, the real people who made these watches, would know. Would be, know the secret little things that were wrong with this watch. Yes. That's the issue. Yeah. Well, they, uh, they found out. I don't know how they do it. Well, they but, took the watch apart, and they realized there were there were elements of the watch, materials used that didn't exist at the time, and and certain techniques and certain pieces that yeah. were incorrect. How it was many, close, but but how many wa- fake watches are out there? Because in this case, Omega bought it for their museum, so they had a real incentive to look know, at this thing critically. There's uh, there's the old cliche tip of the iceberg. Uh, I think in the watch yeah. world, it's tip. Of the planet Jupiter. Yes. <laughs> I think most watches are fake in the vintage yep. world. They really are. And you really need to trust uh, your watch guys. You need to make sure if you're buying from them. And Phillips is a very trustworthy auction house that's been setting records. And let's hope they caught the one that uh, went through. Uh, you know, we talked to our our stupid friend Moise, who we love. Yes. I shouldn't call him stupid. But What's our, wrong with that? Well, I know. I, I love Moise. He's a terrific guy. Um, and he's always talking about the fraud in the art world. He's he's an art aficionado, and and there's all sorts of fraud there too. Anywhere millions there's and money, of dollars, the fake paintings. Anywhere there's money, Ferriston, yeah. there's fraud. I'm fake cars, fake watches. How about just fake money called counterfeit money? I'm looking at a fraud right now. I am a fraud. <laughs> Everything from my head to my toes. It's all fake. Hey, before I forget, still, there's more to talk about. You know, we have an official tire, official tire sponsor on the show now. Who is that? <laughs> uh, Vredestein. Vredestein is now our friends from Holland, uh, the Dutch tire maker that has been making tires, a European brand uh, dating back to the 1900s, making it one of the oldest and most respected tire brands in the world is now the official tire sponsor of Spike's Car Radio. Ultra high performance tires in the industry, cars, they they called up, they they want to put tires on all of the cars. We've we've begun here at the Ferriston house. Uh, Mr. Seinfeld has acquired cars, uh, tires for a couple of his uh, fringe uh, in, uh, cars that we'll talk about a little later. And, and Zuckerman, anything you want. I'm going to make a list. 
So, and it should solve a problem. It should solve a problem. So when I chatted with them for the first time and thanked them for jumping on board Spike's Car Radio, uh, the Bredstein uh, representative said, where would you like to start? Where are your tire problems? I said, I have a couple. I was, uh, I was uh, uh, caught in a little bit of trouble up in Lake Tahoe over the summer, sliding down a hill, a little embarrassing. They said, we're going to resolve that. But I said, but first and foremost, my wife's Model Y is a little noisy. The tires are a little noisy, and they're a little destroyed from the way she runs into things with them, <laughs> curbs and other things. So what did they do? They put a, a, a set of Quattrack Pros on there, which is uh, adds a quiet, comfortable ride uh, and better handling, crisp steering response, increased water evacuation from treads, a true all-weather tire, a one-tire solution for drivers who want year-round performance. Uh, they were designed by tire designer Ital Design Giugiaro. <laughs> and they're optimized for powerful cars and SUVs. I can just tell you, I drove the car and it's completely different. <laughs> it's wonderful. Really? Yeah, it reduced sound by about, I would say, maybe 20%. I don't know what was on there before, but what it was, what was there, was not doing its job. And uh, these guys sent over here. I'm just looking for the pics here. I think they sent a company over named Zip Tire. Yeah, here they are. The Zip Tire guys just showed up. This mobile tire place. They took the wheels off, put on new tires, balanced them, put them on the car. I was done in like 20 minutes. They got the spinny thing inside their van. Yeah, they got the spinny thing in the van. Zip Tire. So, Fredestein, thank you for uh, revolutionizing my wife's uh, tire and ride. And um, one day in, you know what she did? She, she cur- gaffed it. She curbed the new one. I'll post a picture of the new ruined tire that she just ruined. But three of the four are already good. <laughs> well, it's all you need, right? <laughs> but when she came in and she said, I'm really sorry. Oh, that's I, a big, that's big. I said, don't worry. Fredestein will replace it for you. She apologized? She Well, she knew these were brand new. She's a very nice person. Well, that's, she, a, that's a huge admission. <laughs> she gets credit. Gold star yes. to your wife for admitting yes. that she... Well, that she, she was excited to have the new tires. Her tires were just destroyed. Were you letting her drive on bald tires? They were bald, yeah. But after two years. But I think that's just a component of a heavier SUV. And we drive the hell out of that car. And when I took them off and I had a look, I went, wow. He goes, yeah, these so tires. So, is the oldest tire company. Yeah, yeah. From the Dutch East Indies, they used to suck the rubber. It, out no, of one trees. of these. Yeah, one of the oldest. You understand yeah. the connection to colonialism in the late 1800s. Well, let's not go in there. There. What's well, wrong with that? <laughs> They're our new sponsor. Okay, just pointing out history. Redestein. They, you know, the Zagato came with Redestein tires on. Really? You know that? Yeah, yeah, it did. It came right out of Italy with it. I am very excited to put that new, new Nardi. 61 vintage real Nardi steering wheel on that. New Nardi. New old Nardi. My name is New Nardi. All right. We're already at 35 minutes here. Um, We'll keep going. There's so much more to talk about. I've got to get to Range Rover Sport First Edition and give you just a first drive impression. Um, And at some point, I have to tell you that I was back east with the memory people. At my mother's. That may have to wait. That that can wait. wait. Hopefully, I don't forget. Um... 
maybe you need to be one of the memory people. I am. We're gonna do. We'll do that next week. We'll have. Uh, we'll do a, a Lamont recap with Johnny. We'll do a Dear Zuckerman, and we'll we'll catch up on all of that. Range Rover Sport First Edition uh, landed in my driveway. Uh, the the redesigned. I think. I think it's a full redesign on that car. I, saw I had one. the Range Rover. I had been waiting for the Sport. I'm a little late to it. Um, what do you think? Let me just go through some stats. Okay. 4.4 liter twin turbo, which you can hear for the first time. You get on it. It's a V8, this first edition. 523 horsepower, eight-speed auto. Fuel economy, as expected, 1621. Forenza, Forenz Red. It's got all these lovely little things in it. Um, But what do I think of it? Yeah. It's perfect. It's really good looking. You know I'm a fan of this model. Like, I look at the whole Land Rover range and I go, what am I going to lease for my next daily, right? And last time it was the Defender, which I've, I've, I've enjoyed, but my lease is coming up. I got into this thing and it there's an added soft luxury, close the doors, quiet comfort that I haven't experienced in the Range Rover Sport before. Soft, soft seats where you go, you know, uh, yeah, you go, oh. the world shut out. The drive with the V8, which is the first time I would recommend the V8, get the V8. You've got speed. It's not too loud. It makes a nice little, you can hear the turbos whine when you get on it. And this car just takes care of you. It's got a uh, big screen. I think it's a 13-inch info screen now. Get the clear view mirror. I think it's what they call it. So the rear view is not the reflection of the mirror. It is a video monitor. Way better. Your life is way better with that. You don't have to be playing with it and moving it. It's very crisp and clear, and it sees more than the rear will see. It's got this amazing little flap in the back. So you open up the hatch, right? And you pull this flap up, and it sits and holds your grocery bags. Really? Yeah. Built into it. Clever, Clever. Right? Really fun. Or in our case, tennis rackets and the rest of it. Um, every, you know, Everybody's like, but what is the infotainment? It all connected perfectly. And it's got a little wireless thing. You tuck your phone under the dash so you don't have to hold it. It made my life. I had it for a week. I loved it. Everybody who got into it loved it. It was just, if you're looking for that family SUV, it's expensive. This one, I think, is up over 100. Might have been 125 sticker. If you're in the market for this and you're thinking this might be a great thing, you're right. You're right. If you can afford that, get it. You'll love it. It will make your daily driving, sitting in traffic, hauling the family around. It'll make it worth it. I want to see a return to the Range Rover Sport for you. I really think you fit in a Range Rover Sport. You had one. More than the Defender? 110%. You in a Range Rover Sport, that was the car that suited you. I thought you looked right in it. It it fits you. Mm. It fits your life. It it set. It was it was not too much of of your your too sporty or too defendery, but it was it hit the sweet spot for you. It hits the sweet spot for the lifestyle, right? Yes. West Side guy. So that that would it's definitely a contender now. Defender Sport, two contenders. And then I'm going to have to look at electrics, the EQ line, the Mercedes EQ line, all of that electric oh. stuff. I, it, it's right on my radar right now. You better be careful. There are a lot of EQ lemons out there. Really? Yeah. And they, Kia. I'm looking at all sorts Kia's, of Kia electrics Kia's as well. Sharp, but the software issues, 
that Mercedes is having with the really? EQ line. I haven't yeah. heard about that. I am hearing this a lot of anecdotal chatter about from my lemon law people about these Benzes being duds. Just and, and they're not and if they come effed up, they're not able to fix them. I have well, I heard that about a Porsche Cayenne the other day. Yeah. That was and just I, returned. Absolutely. <laughs> but it wasn't electric. It was just really it was effed up. And they had to replace it. Was it the software or uh, uh, controlling? No, it's just the, the, it never worked right. I mean, I think that happens on a bunch of that. I had the press cars and they worked flawlessly. I had no problem with it. Right. It was just the charging network that was the deal. But, you know, Tesla just made a deal with... It's so interesting to watch Tesla right now, right? The company, in a way, is somewhat self-immolating in the PR world because of Elon Musk's political positions. Falling apart. Erica finally came to me and she said, I'm done with this brand. And I said, I understand. In the same in the same breath, you don't know where to go because there's not a supercharging network like, like Tesla. They've really done that piece right. right. Well, they have now made a deal with Ford and I believe GM, Tesla, Ford, and GM, to allow, I think, those manufacturers to use the same plug and or the same uh, charging station with an adapter. There you go. Right? There you go, big. And I can't tell if that's them bailing on making cars anymore because they know they're in a little bit of trouble or, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's an indication that they've got they've got something. Yeah. They've got a chess piece that everyone else needs. Yeah. Because, I, you know, if you're going to make your company political, which they've done, how are you going to sell those cars in the red states? How, how do you do that? Do those people want them? I don't think they do, right? It doesn't fit in, but... Um, but people in the red states will buy Ford 150s that are electric all day long, don't you figure? Well, that's a great car, yeah. Huh? Yeah, the head of Ford isn't out there saying stupid shit. <laughs> if what? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they are. They say it privately. Say it privately! Anyway, I'm... Uh, what... What would hold me back from the Mercedes EQ line is this Electrify America, forget it. It's not good. Tesla really does. That charging network, what you want is to take your Mercedes to the Tesla charging network. If I could arrange that, that would be a perfect situation for me. You also don't want your your Mercedes EQ to lock you out. Yeah. Or to go into some sort of limp <laughs> mode while you're on the freeway. Well, they, you know, yes, this is all new technology and there's going to be issues, but oh, we have yeah. to go there. I mean, the, here's the other thing. Somebody fires Elon Musk and Tesla is just fine. Tesla does well. You know, they continue to improve their cars. We like them and they don't have Im an image problem right now to deal with. Wouldn't bother me. But the number of people, and I have to, uh, I'm saying this out loud into the mics, the number of people who have told me they're done with Tesla now because of that guy, it's, uh, it caught my attention. This is in the last three weeks. One of them from the other side of the aisle, I would say. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. They just so don't like stupidity. Unlike, yes. <laughs> they just don't like stupidity. Yeah, that's a universal <laughs> universal dislike. I don't know what that means for me because I'm technically an independent. I'm not a political person. I'm a registered independent. I don't want there to be an assumption that there's anything behind any comments I might make about anything. So that's why I stay in the middle. I stay out of it. Satirist. It's the satirist position. When you want to uh, satirize, that's what you do. All right, let's see what else there is here. There's only one other thing, Zuckerman, that I think will get up your ire. Uh. All right? One small thing, and then we'll get to Cameron Weiss. Uh, 
the drive. You know the drive, the website? They yeah. have a kind of ask the drive, yeah. kind of like a deer sucker. Man. Yeah. They ask the drive. And I think they might have had an intern up uh, one day when a guy named At Brew asked, are ceramic brakes on the road, on a road car, just to flex? And the person there said, yep. The drive Whoa. said, yes, they are. They're just to flex. That's very controversial. <laughs> and then they tweeted it out, the drive, and, and, I, and I went, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Here's their answer. I'm being told I have to explain myself, the guy said. Boo. But yeah, ceramic brakes are just a flex, said this anonymous writer from the drive. Ceramic brakes dissipate heat better than iron rotors, but the heat range you'll be working with on the road just is not enough to justify using them. They're designed for race pace, not street pace. It's just weird rich people flexing. You'd have to be using your supercar at 8 to 10 tenths for them to actually be worth it. And you aren't doing that on the street, or rather, you really shouldn't be. So, how about I don't like brake dust? What, what about that? What about I don't like putting brake dust in the world? And I'm well, should we try to educate the reason why people spend the extra money on carbon yeah. ceramic brakes? One, also, they require a longer manufacturing time, so it costs more money. They massively reduce brake fade for example they weigh less <laughs> less unsprung weight you mean around 36 pounds let's say versus ceramic rotor weights which are 16 20 pounds less the lower weight has major implications for performance with and feel from feel uh, uh, Motor Authority did a great piece on it. Re- re- reduces, cutting their weight reduces rotational inertia, which can improve acceleration times. Who wants improved acceleration? Reduce the weight of the brake components also cuts unsprung mass, the mass not supported by the suspension, which can improve both grip and ride quality. There's Indeed. about at speed here, is there? Indeed. They are also dimensionally stable, meaning they won't deform at high temperatures and cause brake judder. Have you ever hit your brakes hard in ceramic brakes? I have felt that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. They also have a longer lifespan. Generally, owners won't need to replace them during the life of the car. Ever. ever. Carbon ceramics lower wear rate also reduces brake dust, which can damage wheels and is a source of air pollution. pollution. Should we keep going? Drive? Flex this. You know what this is? The drive, who I love. They, 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 in fact, most of the news that, that we get and we talk about on the show, the drive is there on it. They're really actually yeah, they're, very, very intense. I like, who's, I, I like the whole operation. But this chat GBT answered this question. Significant misfire. <laughs> and it's a significant misfire. And that's okay. It happened to Phillips. It happened to the drive. It's happened to me. It's happened to us. We've misfired. Anyway. Let's get to our interview. It's time to, to, to do our interview here. So Cameron Weiss from the Weiss Watch Company, I believe is what he calls it, um, friend of Matt Farah. They used to do a watch podcast together. Um, when, when we posted the show about J.N. Shapiro and the, the, the rebirth, the renaissance of American watchmaking, immediately people were like, well, what about Weiss Watch Company uh, and RMG and these other companies? 
and uh, very quickly, you know, I started chatting with my watch uh, f- uh, friends online and some of the people I trust. And a very interesting in this article that made that declaration, the 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 writer whose name I, I'm Mark, uh, I can't remember his name, but Mark from Hodinkee. He said this is going to this is going to be potentially controversial, but I think a little healthy debate here is good. And I didn't really understand what he was saying until I chatted here with Cameron. And um, you know, we started digging in to what the uh, Federal Trade Commission calls made in the USA, the history uh, with Shinola when they made that claim and got really big and then had to back off it, assembled in the USA, and how, and if you even can, get any sort of certificate or paperwork or permission from the FTC to even do this. And what does it mean? What is Weiss Watches? What is Jay and Shapiro? And what are these other companies, these guys that are machining and building? What does that even mean? Pay close attention, Zuckerman, to where to what happens when we get to the qualification for Swiss made. Here you go. Here's my interview with Cameron Weiss. Cameron, good to see you, my friend. Or at least hear Great you. Be talking with you. Yeah. yeah. La- last time I saw you, you were you were out here, and now where are you? Now I'm in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, it's nice there. I have friends that move from LA to Nashville and just absolutely love it. Right, it's a good spot. It's uh <laughs> I'm definitely dealing with the humidity now and trying to get used to that. Did you, uh, do you still have the old Land Rover? Yeah, yeah. I've got the 2A. And then I actually just got myself a 92 Defender from uh, Sardinia. Wow. You really? Yeah, so I'm, I'm moving up. You're, you're going for it. <laughs> yeah. That I one's sti- got the air conditioning. Which I still is can't essential here. Nashville. Yeah, yeah. You need it. I can't get over how that series 2A steers. I I've not been able to replicate <laughs> the steering that you had that day at Matt Ferris place when I turned the wheel of your uh truck and well, I went, "Damn, I'm not done. I'm not done." Yeah, it's it's a constant work in progress, but yeah, I think it drives great. All right. Well, we're here to talk about watches. Let's just dive right into the Hodinky piece uh, where Mark Kozlarich wrote about uh, J.N. Shapiro watches. Uh, and there was, you know, we, we did that interview with with Joshua last week or maybe the week before. And uh, right away in the comments and the post, people said, well, what about Cameron Weiss? What about Cameron Weiss? What was your reaction to that piece when you read Hodinkee say this J.N. Shapiro watches was the very first uh, uh, fully American manufactured uh, watch since Hamilton in the 60s? I was confused. It was like I was in the Twilight Zone or something because I actually... uh, we had an article in the LA times back in 2016 that was almost identical to the one that, uh, that was in the LA times recently about JN Shapiro. So it was, uh, confusing to, to hear that info. Mark, but I think the the U S industry for watches is, I mean, it's alive and well, and it's growing slowly, but, uh, I mean, I, it, Really, since about the 90s, there's been some resurgence in U.S. watchmaking. I think, you know, what he's trying to get at, 
And he even says it here. Let me read what he wrote in the article because uh, it's uh, it's interesting and it kind of uh, lays the foundation of this interview. There are a lot of companies that proudly claim at least a portion of their watchmaking is done in the United States. But after a lot of research, I'm inclined to believe that Joshua Shapiro is the first to really be able to lay stake to the claim of made in America. Then he says it's going to be a topic that will likely elicit a lot of debate but I think it's a debate that will serve American watchmaking well and push it further. So he's, I think, in this article acknowledging, look, I know I'm making a claim uh, about my belief, and I know it's going to uh, cause a stir debate. Um, do you really feel that there's a difference between Weiss watches and Jay and Shapiro watches? I mean, as far as I can tell... No, nobody has had the the Federal Trade Commission give them any paperwork, right? How does that even work? You know, according to the article, made in the USA is a very strict guideline, and there needs to be a blessing from the Federal Trade Commission to get it, and that means that that pretty much all of your watch, a very high percentage, has to be not only assembled. In the United States, it has to be manufactured. The parts have to be manufactured in the United States. How do you view that? It's a strange one because a lot of it has to do with the perception of the buyer, right? The people you're marketing a product to. Uh, the FTC really is just trying to keep people from misleading. Right. So it's based on what the consumer sees your advertising as. Right. It could be you saying something is made in USA or it could be plastering American flags all over something in the hopes that the buyers will think that the item is made in the USA. Uh, so actually writing anything like USA or made in USA or made in America on a product is making a claim that that product was all or virtually all manufactured, made, the raw materials were sourced from the U.S., everything, really. Right. And so what do you do? I mean, tell us about Weiss watches. So I machine watch parts here in the U.S. However, there's a lot of alloys that are involved in watchmaking mm -hmm. that we can't get here in the U.S., um, one of them that I, I looked into was tantalum, mm -hmm. right? And there are some makers like Jan Shapiro who make parts out of tantalum, but there are no tantalum producers here in the U.S. So you can't actually make a watch case out of tantalum and call it made in USA. Interesting. Which is a strange little detail, but... When you get into it, it's it's really, does the average watch buyer think you're misleading them? Or are they happy knowing that that part was machined here, even though it's not a domestic alloy? Right. Right? For well, me, I don't care so much about everything down to the, to the level of where did that material come from? You know, where on earth was it, uh, was it pulled from? I'm more interested in seeing actual craftspeople here in the U.S. working on things, even if that means the wire came from somewhere else or the bar of steel came from somewhere else. 
I think the the people and the the craft people that's that's what we want to kind of rebuild here. Right, right. I mean, it, it, I mean, and it it seems like I mean a lot of this started really I think from from just a buyer and a watch fan point of view with Shinola. Shinola, I remember I was in Detroit shooting a car thing with Matt Farah, Car of the Year or something, nonsense like that. And we were invited over to Shinola, and I didn't know who they were. And I walked in, and they said, we're an American watchmaking company. We're, we're making watches here. And we were like, wow, fantastic idea, <laughs> right? It hits you. It hits you all over. You're like, I'm really behind this whole idea. And they get big, and, and they're saying made in the USA, which is something the Federal Trade Commission has control over. And they see that and they go, not so fast. Your watches are uh, parts that are being assembled in the United States, not made here for the most part. You've got to now retract that. And I remember being kind of let down by Shinola. I go, that was a little too far. (laughs) But then, you know, you get deeper into this watch thing and you look at what the Swiss do, for instance. Right. It seems like they're they're even more lax about Swiss made when you see that stamped on the back of a watch that that only I think and maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me that only 60 percent of parts have to be Swiss but and they can come from Asia or wherever else. They just have to be assembled in Switzerland. Am I right about that? You're completely right. And actually, a big part of my business here, I make watch parts that I sell to Swiss companies, <laughs> and they go into Swiss-made watches. So we send main plates and bridges and screws and pinions. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's the initial, I think, consumer bubble, which is for most of us just sitting on the sidelines and seeing an advertisement that goes, hey, an American made watch. Wow. I like that idea. Then there's the the watch geek level of, hey, this is how we're really doing it. Um, where, where, you know, like in your case, we're a smaller company and, uh, I don't know that you're doing this, but I hear other companies, they harvest Swiss movements and they reassemble them the way they, I I don't know, a bunch of stuff I don't get. Um, and then there's the federal trade commission who's stepping in and kind of, a uh, uh, you know, you, you make a claim, you get too big. We're going to now take a look at you or there has to be a complaint against you like Shinola. And uh, you can't say that because it's not true. Um, and then there's, you know, what's really happening out in the world. <laughs> like, like until I learned that about the Swiss, to me that was the that was the standard. It's like Swiss made. That was the that was an ironclad standard, and we want American watchmaking to be up to that standard. Now it turns out. It looks like American watchmaking has a, a higher standard than Swiss made, right? Right. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. And I actually, uh, so here in my workshop, we do Swiss movements, mm-hmm. but also American movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously other parts, cases and, and dials and crowns and uh, straps and buckles and all of that. But it seems like a lot of the focus is on the movement itself because that's the most complex part to actually make. Right. And some of the things like hair springs, there there's no other industry that needs a hairspring for timing purposes. So making a tiny little hairspring and the reason they call it a hairspring 
is that it is actually slightly thinner than a human hair. <laughs> it is like drawn from a piece of wire oh of a special alloy. Mm -hmm. And then it is shaped into a rectangular profile. And then it's curved into a little snail type uh, curvature. Right. And then from there, it needs to be bent and formed to actually fit into a watch and cut to length. So it matches a balance wheel weight. And really all the hairspring is, it's just like the string on a pendulum, but it's been curled up and it's a special alloy for fitting inside of a wristwatch. Uh. But all this little magical kind of secretive, uh, Swissness, <laughs> doesn't really exist here in the U.S. There are some people that make springs similar to hairsprings, but they're for really simple things like returning the needle of a gauge back to zero. Right. Right. It's not right. doing any precision timing. It's just springing a little needle back to position. How did you get into this business of making watches? <laughs> you know, when I talked to Joshua Shapiro, he said he read this book on watchmaking, the Bible. I forget the name of it, but he said there's a Bible on how to make watches. What was your uh, entry point? So I started as a, a pretty young kid collecting watches. And then I had a neighbor who was a garage sailor. And this was when I was in was, uh, middle school. And he started bringing back some pretty cool garage sale finds like vintage Rolexes and things, things of that sort. Mm -hmm. But when he would find some less expensive watches, he'd give them to me, uh, even broken watches and things like that. So that kind of opened my eyes to a different kind of watch as opposed to the, the cheap digital quartz and, and stuff like that, that I had been collecting. And he started showing me stuff like, Gruen watches that he would pick up at a garage sale. And then I learned about watchmakers. Prior to that, I had no idea that there were people actually sitting at workbenches <laughs> making watches. Right. I right. just thought of it as an item that existed and didn't think about the creation of mm -hmm. it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to college for a little while, but I dropped out to go. I, I went to USC actually for business and I decided that was not for me. So I dropped out and took a job for like $10 an hour working in a machine shop just to try and learn some modern manufacturing methods. From there, I went to a Swiss watchmaking school, a Swiss operated watchmaking school in the U S did two years there. What is that uh, like? Were there a lot? Can I ask you about? Were there a lot of frat parties there and and and? Keggers? Oh yeah, it was it was wild <laughs> at watchmaking school. You wouldn't believe how wild we get. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Was there dormed? Were you guys all the watchmaking guys? You know, doing bong hits at night and woo, <laughs> partying. Let's get it's the watches out. More, how many girls like, were at watchmaking school? <laughs> We had none in our class. Um, it was just six, six, uh, six guys and two teachers. At the time, right? you know, I went to Ber straight. Berkeley College of Music way back when, and it was the same. It was all dudes with guitars. And I, was, I walked in, I went, oh, no. <laughs> 
I hope I love the guitar as much as I think I do. If you go to Switzerland or Europe, mm -hmm. it's mostly women who like who are getting into watchmaking. Wow, fantastic! Here in the U.S., it's not not quite as balanced. There's you need to go to American women, watchmaking but... school in Switzerland. That's where you have to go. The American <laughs> <Right>? one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's I, interesting. So I did that, and then afterwards, I worked for Audemars Piguet, mm -hmm. uh, and then after that, I worked for Vacheron Constantine. And with both of them, I trained in more complex uh, watches, mm -hmm. things like perpetual calendars and, and different complications that make a watch significantly more complex. Uh, a simple time-only watch might have 120 pieces. Mm -hmm. If you get into something like a grand complication where you're going to have multiple complications on one watch, you could have 1,500 pieces in the same size watch. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, and then I'm... after that, I started Weiss. And there you go. And there you are. And now you're, you're cranking out these watches. Uh, is it just you making these watches in the workshop? Or do you have a team of watchmakers? It's just me. Uh, so I have, I have four very advanced CNC machines mm -hmm. that cut parts from bar. And what that, what that does for me, the big benefit is that I cut the part off the end of a bar and it falls off the bar when it's done, or it is processed a little uh, differently with a clamp and then cut the, the last final side. But when that part is finished, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go over to the machine and load another block of metal. The bar is six feet long and the part just gets cut off the end. And then another part is cut and another part. So all of our machines can actually run overnight without me even here making parts. Wow. I'm only necessary for designing the parts, setting up the machines. And then also once those parts are made, I'm the guy sitting there hand finishing, polishing, decorating, all of those little things, and then finally assembly. Wow. So truly handmade. If you guys want to check it out, WeissWatchCompany.com is where you can see his fine work. I'm looking at your stuff right now. I like these uh, Weiss Cordura canvas straps. It's a very cool yeah. <clears throat> looking watch here. The biggest thing for me in trying to do this in the U.S., is to actually try to create a bit of an industry here, something that could grow. Uh, I want to see more people interested in mechanical watches. So accessibility mm -hmm. is big for me, trying to keep the cost relatively low mm -hmm. because we use CNC machines and advanced manufacturing to be able to produce higher volume, but still with that traditional mechanical movement, I just want to see more people aware of mechanical watches. And and who <clears throat> who are the others? So you now you have you have JN Shapiro Watch Company, you have Weiss Watches. Who are the other ones that should be on our radar as far as American watchmakers? So you've also got uh Roland G. Murphy, who has been making watch movements here in the US since the nineties. Um he's probably the first person actually to make a US made watch since Hamilton shut down. This is RGM Watch Company. 
Yeah, RGM Watch Company. I'm checking them out now. Oh, yeah, look at that. Very American looking. <laughs> right. Very, very nice. got a very, uh, <laughs> a lot of influence from like the pocket watches and yeah. railroad type clocks. Yeah, their GMT is a little more modern and interesting and, and unique for sure. And a lot of it looks very vintage. And then they have a nice uh, dive watch here. Oh, yeah, that's neat. Who else? Right. And then you've also got uh, a gentleman by the name of Keaton Myrick, who is in Oregon. And he produces a, a very limited number of watches. I think it's maybe 10 watches a year. But he does it uh, with a mix of some like wire EDM and some pretty high tech manufacturing methods, but also some really old school equipment. Yeah. Uh, manually operated lathes and things like that to finish and decorate. And it's just some of the most beautifully decorated watches made today. Yeah. I'm, lo right I'm looking it. at them. They're all, they're signed on the back and dated and, and very, uh, you know, it, it's such an interesting area. It looks like an American watch. But also right. uh, a luxury watch on the back. They have their own vibe to them. They're not trying yep. to be something that they're not. It's interesting. There's this whole little new sliver. Right. Wow. And then I'd say another one. Well, they're not dated. They're definitely... I'm sorry. They're da they're numbered on the back. I see one of 30, zero of 30. That's interesting. Who else? There's also Dan Spitz. Heavy metal rocker <laughs> who has a background. Oh, yeah. Look at him. <laughs> He's been watchmaking for, I think, longer than I've been alive. Wow. And but he also <laughs> had a music career in the middle of an um, unbelievable watchmaking career where he worked and trained in Switzerland for some top watchmakers. <clears throat> yes. And now he's making watches here in the U.S., that are completely handmade. So he was the guitar player for a band called Anthrax. Yes. <laughs> he also founded a Christian music group called Red Lamb, and now he's making watches. Boy, that guy. Right? Pretty unbelievable uh, story there. With That's him. a good resume. Right? I like that. Well, look, it's uh, it seems like we're at the beginning of something pretty amazing in the United States here. Yeah, a whole yeah, U.S. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's a lot to come with U.S.-made watches in the future. It's and, exciting. Yeah, and you're there at the center of it. So is our new friend Josh Shapiro and our Anthrax guitarist friend <laughs> Dan <Right? laughs> Spitz. It's cool. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show and talking to us and helping us understand this whole thing. I feel like I, yeah. I feel like I've, I, I'm starting to get it, and uh, and I'm excited about this, and that I think we should be a little less preoccupied with the percentages of parts and more focused on on guys like yourself you know building things and making things right here in the united states yeah a little bit more about the why not so much uh, <laughs> all the tiny little percentages i love it all right well cameron go drive your uh, series 2a and uh, i'll chat with you later yeah hey <laughs> and i got one more thing if what? anyone wants to get super nerdy about watches I've got a YouTube channel called The Watchmaker's Workshop, and I pretty much do incredibly deep dives into the tiniest little details of watchmaking. I just 
did one on the mainspring and it was like 15 minutes just about mainsprings. Wow. So if you really want to nerd out, <laughs> you get granular. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm going there right after this. That sounds <laughs> like fun. All right. Thanks, Cameron. All right. Well, good talking to you. So there you go. Yes. Right? Yes. Swiss made. Did you know that? Yes. You did know that the only- I knew that there were I knew that it did not have to be 100% uh, content made in Switzerland. 60. 60. Be and that's part- a, and that's that's too low. It part- should be 80. Come on. But th- isn't it interesting that if we're 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 it's the rebirth of American made watches and we're we're trusting Swiss made as the gold standard. And it's not Swiss made, it's sixty percent. Asian watch parts are parts are coming in and they're assembling them there. All you have to do is assemble the watch in, in Switzerland and then you can say and then Swiss you made. Say, yeah. That doesn't that then pave the way for the end of this debate that who these guys are machining most of the parts for their watches and making the watches here. The American watches have a very distinct design that's a, an amazing starting point that has their, it, that they look like the older heritage watches. It's their own thing, and we should be encouraging uh, everybody. And not crapping on them. Cameron Weiss, Josh Shapiro, the whole group of American, all of you guys out there that want to start, keep going. keep going, keep building American watches. And you if, see this on you see this on your window sticker on cars. It'll tell you what the content right, is. Right, right. Take a look at your ne- the next time you look at a window sticker. It'll give you an I- an idea of this. Well, I'm just impressed that the American guys are working harder than it seems like these other watchmakers are around the country. The Swiss. I'm going to play a little more Le Mans right here. Look at that. That's our show. I am going back. To my house to watch more of this. That's the Toyota number seven car. All right, we'll see you next week on Spike Radio. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio, brought to you by Hangar 56. Listen to new episodes every Wednesday, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.